It's, uh, it really is lovely to be able to share with you this morning. We're going to uh, continue as we look at the book of Ephesians together. And this morning we are in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 in the first 10 verses. Uh, so if you were here last week, you'll remember um, Christy kicking us off. Uh, we'll come back to Paul's prayer in the second half of uh, chapter 1 uh, a little bit later on. But this morning we're in chapter 2. Verses 1 to 10. And Ephesians, just as we kind of uh, get settled in, Ephesians is a a wonderful uh, letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He he has been there, uh, he's he's moved on and he's writing back to the church probably about 10 years later. And it's a little bit different than some of his other letters because often as Paul writes, he's addressing something that's happening in the church. Maybe there's a problem or there's something happening and he's quite specific. But Ephesians is much um, broader than that as it uh, it outlines for us the, the, the good news that we have in Jesus and what difference that makes in our lives. And, uh, and so it's this kind of fantastic overview. It's looking at what is God's story in our lives? What's God's story that's been played out in our lives? It is, uh, it's frightening to think that it was nearly 20 years ago uh, when I went uh, to Cape and Ray as a student. I wonder if you ever have those moments where you kind of can't quite believe that it was that far away. Uh, so it's 2005, um, I, was, I was 21, I'd finished university and I went to Cape Henry as a student. Uh, when I was lecturing there just before Christmas, I was talking with somebody and they said they were born in 2005, one of the students. <laughs> and that closed that conversation pretty quickly, I, I wasn't interested in that anymore. <laughs> It seems a long time ago. And one of the things that we did early on, so there was 176 of us in our Bible school year. And, uh, and they did this thing, which, uh, which we stopped when I joined staff. But one thing that we did was there was uh, everyone's name was put in a hat at the front of the lecture hall. And in the first couple of weeks, uh, we were told to kind of get ready and uh, prepare our testimony or that kind of story of what God has done in your life. And have it ready. And then somebody would come and in certain lecture periods, they'd pick out a name from the hat. And that person would have to come to the front and they would have 15 minutes to share their story. Uh, something we're going to instigate at CFM, actually, from, <laughs> from next week on. And statistically, of course, the chances of being picked was very, very low. Um, but the fear was very, very real. And, uh, and those were, were, were sometimes uh, scary evenings, but they were also phenomenal. They were so exciting. As people uh, got up to share, people who were different than what I was, spoke a different language perhaps, uh, different culturally, different dress sense, different uh, way of expressing their personality. But as they shared the story of what God has done in their life, something deep would resonate within because you think, Yeah, they were lost as I was lost. They were blind as I was blind. Jesus has found them just as he's found me. And there's something deep about that. There's something that resonated as people shared their story. And and what we're going to look at in the next few moments together is God's story in 10 verses that's played out in the life of those who trust and believe and follow him. And so 
it's uh, it, it's it's significant. Hopefully, as we read it, it resonates with us. As Paul will explore some of the big questions, like where do we come from? What what? How did this story start? And 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 why are we here? And what's the the, the purpose of it all? You know, if we were to, 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 to share, if we meet somebody and we start to share a little bit about who we are, we typically kind of go for probably profession first, don't we? Oh, I'm a, so in, in my case, as if I meet somebody new, I might say I'm community pastor. That usually stops a conversation about there. Um, <laughs> but we kind of go for our job first. Or maybe we go for family. So I, I, for me, I might say I have, I have four children. That also stops the conversation pretty fast as they wonder if we're Amish or something. <laughs> or we talk about our, our hobbies or, or our interests. So I say, I really enjoy sport and I support Manchester United. Well, now there's nobody left who's willing to talk to me. But in Ephesians, it, it's not about what we do as a profession or our family status. There's something that's much more, much deeper than that. As, as, as Paul explores what our identity is. What's God's story in the life of a believer? So let's, let me read it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Paul writes this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What I'd like us to do is uh, just to break that down. We'll look at it little section by little section, just looking at, at in three in three goes. And to, to begin with, we'll look at the first three verses as we look at our big problem. Our big problem, sins work against us. Let me remind you of those, of those words. Paul packs this in. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul, as he writes to the church and he reminds them of, of the start of, their, of God's story in their lives. He says, the start of, we were in big trouble. 
we had a big problem. I wonder if you picked out some of the things that were, were wrong there. We were dead. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were disappointed. We were disobedient. We were depraved. We lived uh, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We were doomed. We were by nature objects of wrath. Just want to, to, to notice those things just very simply for a moment. Paul says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We were, we were dead. It's strong language that, that we're using here, isn't it? We were dead. What does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean we were physically dead. It can't do because we were walking in the ways of this world. So we weren't physically dead. So what's Paul referring to? It says in a spiritual sense, we were dead in our sin. It's an echo back to Genesis. Remember, and Adam and Eve are in the garden. And they're told not to eat of the fruit of that tree. And if they did, they would surely die. Now, they did eat that fruit, but they didn't die physically straight away, did they? They were still physically alive. But because of that, the consequence of sin started to to kick in. Because of that decision, there was guilt. There was shame and hiding and blame. And, uh, and there was a relational breakdown between Adam and Eve and between them and God. In the scriptures, death is separation. It, it, it's separation. Now, they were separated from God and separated from each other. This is what sin does. Paul says the wages of sin is death. I suspect that's not a new verse to, to many of us. Just just before we get on to some much better news, just ponder that for a moment. The wages of sin, the wages, what, you, what we earn by sinning is death, separation, breakdown. And so Paul's using really strong language here. And ultimately, I think where we're, where we're the logical conclusion, where we're driving at is that we're separated from God and we can't get back to him. We can't make our way back to him. It's not about if we just learn some things. If we learn the right things, we will get back to God. If we can just achieve the right things, or if we're lucky enough, or if we're strong enough, or if we're brave enough, or if we're clever enough, we can get back to God. Or if we do enough good things that outweigh the bad things. None of it works. We can't get back to God by ourselves. We, we, we don't need to be resuscitated. We need to be resurrected. What we need is a miracle. What we need is a miracle. We are, we're lost. We're dead in our sin. Death is, is awful. Maybe I can use a, a silly example to illustrate a, a sobering point. One of the, the benefits of growing up on a farm is that you're introduced to some of the realities of life fairly early on. And I can remember being with my dad and we were, we were helping this sheep that was having a difficult lambing. We were helping. I mean, I was there and, uh, and very, very young at the time. And, uh, and dad was able to, to kind of deliver the lamb, but it was dead. 
And I remember as a little boy saying to her, okay, what do we do now? And I said, we, we can't do anything now. Yeah, but what, what, what can we do now? What, what happens now? How can we get it to live again? And we can't. You can't get it to live again. <laughs> I think as a young boy, sometimes you think your dad can do anything. They can't do that. Because that, that, that is a miracle. We can't do that. It, death is the ultimate separation. And that's the picture that's used here. It's why the message of Jesus is so offensive. There's nothing we can do to get back to God. There's nothing we can do to be made right with him. It, it's not about our performance. It's offensive or freeing, depending on which way we might look at it. We were dead in sin. Just very quickly, we, we were disobedient. It's interesting the relationship between disobedience and death in the scriptures. Adam and Eve, as they disobeyed, so were separated from God. The disobedience led to death. And every, every illustration has its problems. You have to, to weigh it all up. But, but as, a, as a father of young children, I could see the consequences of disobedience. I, I'm, I'm certainly not the perfect father. I'm pretty confident that the five people in living at my house with me will, will tell you that. Um, but I'm a good dad. I, I, I try my best and look to look out for, protect and love the children. And when there's disobedience, it has an effect. It has an, it has an influence. Disobedience leads to fractured relationships. It leads to danger. It leads to tension. It leads to frustration, mistrust, pain. Disobedience, disobedience leads to separation. In the context of a good, loving relationship, we were, we were disobedient to God. We, we were depraved. We were following um, the, the desires of the flesh and the wishes of the mind is a literal translation. Now, now what, I've got to be careful here. What I'm saying here is that I'm not saying that before we were Christians, we couldn't do anything good. Because Jesus said, didn't he, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. And think of Paul when he shipwrecked off Malta. And the people of Malta are very kind to him and they take them in and look after them. You know, we're capable of kindness and good things before Jesus. But Paul still needed to preach the gospel when he was in Malta as well, though the people were kind. So I'm not saying that, I, I, that, that there isn't kindness or goodness. But what I'm saying is that our desires and wishes tend to take us away from God rather than to him. They tend to move us away in crooked paths. And ultimately, verse 3, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The more that we sin, the more that we sow in sinfulness, the more will reap its consequences. We were in big trouble. We had a, a big problem before encountering Jesus. And actually, as we were dead in sin, we were, we were really starting to stink the place out. Our, our lives were, were looking increasingly unlike the way that God has intended. And, and, and in these three verses, Paul even pushes it further and says there's, there's, there's enemies against us as well. There's those things that are, um, that are fighting us to, to pull us f even further away from the living God. 
wonder if you noticed them as we read through. Verse 3 talks about the flesh. Not that our bodies in themselves are intrinsically wrong or, or sinful, not at all. But in Galatians, he'll actually explain what, the, uh, what he means by that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, uh, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's an there's a inner nature which is, which is pulling us away from God. Charles and John Wesley's uh, mum, uh, Susanna, was quite the lady. And she, she put it this way. She said, whatever weakens your reasoning, impairs your ten- the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes away your relish for spiritual things. In short, if anything increases the authority and the power of the flesh over the spirit, that to you becomes a sin, however good it is in itself. We have a, a, a nature which, which, will, which will pull us away. We have an, another enemy, verse 1, the world. Uh, verse 2, sorry, the world. Uh, that's not that there's one big conspiracy of everything's out to get us. But, but if we have a, individually have a nature that pulls us away from God, then as we collectively come together, we, we, we operate in systems and processes that together also um, pull us away from the living God. And then thirdly, verse 2 again, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, um, talking of, of uh, the enemy of, of Satan. And, and, and we have to, to be careful here, I think, we have to weigh this, weigh this up. The Alpha, in the Alpha course, they have a, a, a section, uh, one of the sessions is on evil. And it talks about sometimes it can be challenging for us to, to believe in the devil Perhaps because we've got this picture of a, a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. But, but, but the reality of evil is, is very real. It's very real. And, and, and as we go through Ephesians, we'll, we'll see more of that a little bit later on. And we've, we've got to recognize that, that, that there, there is very evil forces at work. And we mustn't um, belittle that or, or, or be trivial about it. We have an enemy who prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion. But neither do we give him too much uh, credit. He's not omnipresent. He's not nearly as powerful as God. When we say things like the, the, the devil's having a go at me, if he's not omnipresent and he can't be everywhere at once, then he's chosen us out of the six billion people to have a go at that time. We have to recognize that there's evil forces, but we have to make sure we're not giving them more credit than they deserve as well. We're in big trouble. We're dead in our sin, disobedient. We have enemies against us. That's where God's story starts in our life. But but things change. Verse 4 to 7 we have a big problem, but we have a big God. We have a big God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow. That is incredible. I just want to pick out some characteristics of God that we see there. These are great verses just to dwell on, just to to read through, just to live in. If you're able to spend some time in them this week. We're we're, we're absolutely in desperate situation. We're separated from God. But God, but God, but because of his great love for us, God. But because of his great love for us, God. Let's just not rush here. But because of his great love for us, God. I hope that those words haven't lost their impact for us this morning. Because of his great love for us, God. Father, help us to receive that this morning. By your spirit, Lord, I pray you'll, you'll, you'll open our, our minds and our hearts to receive that. We were dead in sin and, 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 and facing enemies too big and too strong for us. But God has stepped into our world, motivated by his great love for us. He has come in the person of Jesus to pay the price for our sin. And that we, that we might go free. That we might be saved. This morning, God loves you. God loves you. And we might be saying inside, Ian, if you knew what was going on in my heart, if you knew the things I've thought this week, if you knew the things I've said this week or things I've done this week, then you wouldn't be saying that. But God does know the things that you've thought this week. And he does know the things you've said this week. He does know what is the reality of your heart. He does know and he loves you. He doesn't love the sin, but he does love you. He does love you. But God, who has a great love for us, his love is big. Verse four, his mercy is big. He is rich in mercy. It's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? He's rich in in mercy. It's just a, a, a lovely phrase. Mercy, as I'm sure you know very well, is where we, we don't get what we deserve. Yes, we've sinned. Absolutely. But God is rich in mercy. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. Jesus has come to take our place. Verse 5. It is by grace you've been saved. His love is big. His mercy is big. And his grace is big. His grace is big. If mercy is where we don't get what we deserve, then grace is where we're given what we don't deserve. And God's not only provided a way that we're saved, but but also has given us life. He's raised us up in Christ. We are heirs with Christ. That's what we read in in Romans. He's given us not just taken away our punishment, but gives us what we don't deserve. Not only is his love is big, his mercy is big, his grace is big, his power is big. 
He didn't only raise up Jesus, but he's raised us up as well. He's resurrected us. Paul is talking to the church, the people who know and follow Jesus. He says, you've been raised with Christ. You're not dead anymore. His love is big. His mercy is big. His grace is big. His power is big. And his kindness is big. His kindness. Verse 7. In order that in the coming ages, he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God is kind. Kindness, I think, is a much undervalued virtue. Kindness is, is, is powerful and beautiful and strong. A kind word, a kind answer, an act of kindness. And God's kindness is big as well. We have a, a big problem, but we have a bigger God. We have a big problem, a big God. And thirdly and lastly, we have a big purpose. We've looked at sin's work against us, God's work for us, and finally God's work through us, in us and through us. Verse 8 to 10. I wonder, I wonder how many people at some point in your walk with the Lord have memorized these verses. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is a, a, a purpose. We've been saved by grace. It's, it's God who's come to us. He's rescued us. And, and how do we ac access that or accept that or receive that offer of salvation? It's through faith, by believing that God in Jesus came to this world died in our place and was risen again and that in him we rise again too. There's no boasting. There's no boasting. It's all of grace. If, if, if you're a visitor here and, and you look around and you think, well, CFM looks like a group of people who really have it all together, uh, then we don't. <laughs> we don't. We're a group of people who are totally lost in sin. And have found grace in Jesus. We've found grace in Jesus. And we're further on than we were. But there's still a ways to go. No one has it all together. No one does. But we have found grace. And we're learning what it is. For that grace to work itself out in our lives. And that's beautiful. There's no boasting. We're all Equally in need of salvation. None of us have earned it. None of us are clever enough, big enough, strong enough, lucky enough. We're all just receivers of God's grace. But verse 10 tells us something even more. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I wonder if you, uh, as you were growing up maybe, you... Um, had fairy tales uh, read to you or you used to watch them or whatever. Uh, and fairy tales typically ended up with the, the phrase and they lived happily ever after. Usually there's, there's a bit of a struggle, there's a problem, there's two uh, main characters, they get through that, then they, they're like, and the last scene is them getting married and they live happily ever after. 
I don't want to speak on Heather's behalf. (laughs) But I would say probably our adventure began when we got married. It didn't. It didn't end there. And 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 here Paul is saying there was separation, but God in His grace has has resurrected us. We're connected again with the living God, and there will be a happily ever after. But before that, there is a purpose. We're not saved just to be nice or to show up at church or to stop swearing for a while, though those things are all good things. But we're saved. We're not saved to be bored, but we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for the good works he's prepared in advance for us to do. There's things that he has set in place for us. And I just think that's really exciting. If the God who made us, if the God who designed us, the one who gave us our our personality and our temperament and our gifting and the one who knows all about the stuff that's happened in life, knows all about the journey, all about the things that have contributed to making us who we are. And he comes to live within us. Then the good works he has prepared in advance for us to do will be just suited for whatever, whatever, uh, whoever we are and wherever he's placed us then that is an exciting thing. We're not saved by our good works. Hopefully we've gone to great extent to, to, to illustrate that. But as uh, I think it was Calvin actually who said, it's faith alone that justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. And there's, uh, and the, and there's good works prepared in advance for us to do. That doesn't necessarily mean we leave our current job and we go off and uh, to who knows where to do who knows what. It could just be in the normal everyday of life, but there is significance and meaning and purpose in 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 where we're at. So, so where does this where does this land for us then this morning as we as we draw to a close? Where does it land for us? Maybe. Um, Maybe you're, 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 you wouldn't call yourself a Christian this morning. And maybe you're, you're just exploring what, what it means to, to walk with the Lord. Well, then, if, that, if that's you, then you need to know that at any time you can talk with him, he, he's always around and he's always there. And if you believe that he has come to this world to save us in Jesus, and that Jesus took our sin on himself and that he rose again, you can... Invite him into your life. You can begin to follow him whenever you want. You you can pray to him whenever you like. And you have your your sins forgiven. And begin that adventure. Maybe you've begun that adventure. But actually life has taken its toll. And you're worn down. And 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 feel if you if you just frankly honest you feel defeated. And then I'm not saying I understand all the trials and troubles that we go through, but I know this: God loves you. I know this: God loves you. I know that His love is big, His mercy is big, His grace is big, His power is big, and His kindness is big.
And I don't know why we go through all the things that we do. And I'm not in any way taken away from the pain or the challenge. But I know that God loves you. And we, and, and, and we can walk in whatever it is together. It may be that, thirdly, it may be that you're looking for that purpose. You're, looking, you're at a point in life where you're just making decisions about what, what life is to look like. I just want to say, open your eyes to whatever the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. I don't know what they are. It might be so small. It might be, it might be in the family setting. It might be in your community. It might just be in your, in your marriage. It might be anything. But, but have a look out. As a close, I want to read this book to you. I want to read one small page from this book uh, to you. Um, it's a book by Donald Miller. And uh, this is what he says. He says, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo but work, and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drives off the lot testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put on a record to think about the story you'd seen. The truth is, you wouldn't remember the movie a week later. In fact, you'd probably feel robbed and want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy, a guy who wants a Volvo. But we spend years actually living this story and expect that our lives will be meaningful. The truth is that what we choose to do with our li- that if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. What is it that we've set our hope on? That we've set our meaning in? Let me pray and we'll close as we sing. Heavenly Father, we um, we know and, and feel and experience the uh, effects of sin in our life. We, we, we know the death that it brings. We know the separation, the, all that comes with it. Father, I pray for each of us this morning and us collectively that we might know more of your grace and forgiveness. Father, we might be those who receive it. Father, I pray that um, you'll fill us afresh with your spirit, Lord. It will be filled with us, that that wonder of, of your love. And Lord, that, that would flow out in our lives, bringing significance and hope Father, we can't do this without you. And how you do it is a mystery. But our prayer is that you will. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.